Welcome back to Second and Short. It is February 22nd, 2023, and we had a whole lot of stuff going on this weekend. The start of the XFL season, start of college baseball, a bunch of coaching news in the NFL, some college football news as well, and the Daytona 500. We'll be running you guys through all of that, but before we get into it, uh, we just started a subreddit. Uh, for people to just go in there, talk about sports, you know, maybe give us some ideas for the podcast, what you guys want to hear, and uh, that that Reddit is r slash two n d and a n d short s h o r t. So go check that out. Uh, we'll be posting episode announcements, uh, topics for like the community to discuss, uh, things for us to talk about on the podcast, and anything else as well as leave a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Follow on there as well. If you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to start off with college baseball opening weekend. Brock, you spent the weekend at Ole Miss's baseball uh, field watching them play Delaware. What would you think about the weekend? How was the atmosphere in Oxford? Oh, in Oxford, there are two things that you, you live by here. It's football and baseball, and... I mean, nothing is quite like baseball season in Oxford, Mississippi. I mean, I mean, I know everyone loves baseball, but here it just feels like it's done differently. That's, I mean, I think we had about thirty five hundred students uh, in uh, right field, and if anybody has ever seen that area, it is teeny tiny. We were all packed in there like sardines, but I mean, it was a great time to watch our boys. I'm pretty sure they run ruled Delaware in all three games. And it was, I mean, beer showers, most every innings. It was just a great time to be there. And I, I believe the old Miss Rebels are looking pretty good to start off the season. Yeah, they look fantastic. Right now they're number four in the nation. Um, kind of a spot that I think they could be higher. We'll get into that once we go through some of the games from the weekend. But let's start it out. Number 10, Vandy versus number 15 TCU in the college baseball showdown on Friday. TCU takes the win 11-4, a, a pretty dominant win by TCU overall. Um, Vandy was down uh, after the sixth inning when TCU put up five. They followed it up with the seventh inning. They put up four, and, and it was over from there. Uh, Vandy had no fight in them. And I don't know how I feel about Vandy going into this season. Um Obviously, this is like it's a ranked versus ranked matchup. TCU is kind of underrated at 15 going into it, but Vandy's pitching was struggling in this game. Yeah. Um, I didn't really, as you know, I, I was kind of preoccupied myself being at Ole Miss this weekend, but uh, Vanderbilt, the last few seasons have just haven't been at the at the level they're used to playing at this season and last season. I mean, I know they've uh, in the season before that, I know they've made the uh, World Series and uh, they've made it to a regional now, but they just don't seem as dominant as they have in uh, the previous years. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like Vandy's always going to have a good recruiting class, but half of those guys don't end up on campus. They all end up getting drafted. So they can recruit as well as they want, but these guys typically go to the MLB if they're good enough to commit to Vandy. Yeah, and I mean, it's really hard to keep a team if you can't keep your players. Yeah, no kidding. All right, well, let's talk this next one. Unranked Arizona upsets number two Tennessee 
They win it 3-1 to one at the MLB Desert Invitational in Arizona. Tennessee is off to a bad start. And honestly, that just brings me so much joy because all I hear all the time is how good Tennessee is and how they should have been in the College World Series, this, that, and the other last year. And then going into this year, oh, well, they're the favorites. They're going to win it all. And, I mean, I know it's the beginning of the season. Baseball doesn't matter till the end of the season. Just like at Ole Miss last year, they went, got hot at the right time, went all, all the way, and won the College World Series. But, I don't know, there's just something about Tennessee just every year. They're always, in every sport to me, just I always seem like they're overhyped and just not – and they're always trying to make a statement of how they're the underdogs and all this all the time. And really, they aren't. They always have great recruiting classes in most every sport. But – I don't know. It just kind of brought me joy to watch them lose. Yeah, me as well. And then Cal State Fullerton upsets number three Stanford 8-1 on opening day. And this series in itself between Cal State Fullerton and Stanford throughout the weekend was a very good series. Cal like took a, or uh, Fullerton took a, a pretty big win in this first game. And then the second day it came down to like bases loaded bottom of the ninth two outs for Stanford, and they won it on a diving catch uh, by the shortstop. But, yeah, a close series throughout this, and we'll get into the third game of that series because it was crazy. But, yeah, 8-1 against Stanford, who a lot of people saw being one of the best teams in the nation. It's not a good look to start it out opening day against an unranked team and lose by seven. Yeah, and I believe they uh, were, weren't they – were they number three? Yeah, yeah, number three. Yeah, I mean, you got you to gotta start off better than that. Yeah, and then we get into Saturday, and TCU rode the momentum off of that win against Vandy, and then they take down number eight, Arkansas, 18-6. to six. Yeah, man, uh, another one I like to see lose is Arkansas. Don't like them. <laughs> I have a feeling that's going to be a trend with all SEC teams. There's just something about them. They they all hate us for some reason. Even though they, you know, everyone's still upset that we made it into the college playoffs or into the regionals last year and then look at where we went. So I think all I've heard so far is how overrated Ole Miss is and where they don't belong, especially from a lot of these fan bases. So the more of these teams I say I don't like lose, the more joy I have. <laughs> All right, and then Vandy kind of gets back on track after the loss to TCU with an 11-9 win over number 9 Oklahoma State. So it's a big win for Vandy to get back on track. And then it happens again. Grand Canyon this time upsets number 2 Tennessee 3-4, to and Tennessee gets off to an 0-2 start to their season. Yeah, um... For all the stuff they talked about and I've heard about with Tennessee, I, I expect way more than that from Tennessee. Again, I understand it's the beginning of the season, and there is still tons and tons and tons of baseball to play. None of this really matters right now. But you just expect more from a team, especially with all the upsides that they are supposed to have. Yeah, and what killed them in these first two games was early runs. Uh, in the first game, uh, the first two innings, they gave up a run in each of those innings. And then Grand Canyon also started off the first inning with a run. And it just seemed like Tennessee couldn't fight back in these games. And that's what's hurting them. So it's obviously the starting pitching right now that needs to be addressed. You need to come out firing. Your best stuff needs to happen 
across those first three innings, and it just doesn't seem like it is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, and then as well on Saturday, number seven UCLA with probably the the best performance of the weekend beat the brakes off of Omaha, twenty three to zero. Yeah, that is that is just uh, uh oh, that is just a complete and total domination of a game. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. And like I looked at the box score, UCLA, I think they only hit like four home runs. So it was just like a bunch of like moving the guys around the bases. Yeah, I mean, 23 to 0 is just you're just they the they just have no answer for you. Yeah. All right, and then we get into Sunday, Stanford Cal end of that series was uh, uh quite the game, ending in a 21 to 13 win for Stanford. Yeah, um, that again, just baseball right now. I just feel like a lot of people just think, oh, it's the beginning of the season. It, you know, we can. You want to come out, you know, feeling good, but it just. I, I think some of th- these teams just need to get their self together and start playing right. Yeah, what what's a little bit crazier about this Stanford versus Fullerton game is that Stanford was down. Um, oh, sorry. They were down six to uh eleven going into the ninth. Scored seven runs to take the lead. Fullerton scores two runs to tie it back up in the ninth. They go into the tenth. Stanford follows up the seven run ninth with an eighth, an eight run tenth inning, and then closes it out against Fullerton to get the twenty one thirteen victory. That is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, that is freaking insane i mean really what you just see here i feel like from fullerton is they just did not have the depth that stanford could rely on you know yeah and that's you know what happens with a premier program versus a a solid baseball program but one that you know doesn't have you know the money the the recruiting outreach like stanford does but fullerton's still a, a solid program a team that we see a lot make it to you know regionals super regionals yeah all right, and then after that tough loss to TCU, Arkansas bounces back, whoops the shit out of Oklahoma State, eighteen to one, to finish off their weekend. Yeah, again, another just like I was, I kind of said in the back last week. A lot of people think they come off, you know, get some of these teams not play the best game baseball, and obviously Arkansas took that to heart and said, "We're going to show people we're still a great baseball team." and I mean, they showed them the score eighteen to one again. Another just complete and total domination of a game. Yep, and then Mizzou beat number fifteen TCU in extra innings nine to eight, and TCU just came off of two top ten wins, and then they lose it in extra innings to unranked Missouri. Uh, this shows me two things. One, it's going to be a very exciting year in the SEC because it appears that. Most all SEC teams have a very solid baseball team. And two, uh, that just, you know, it's just kind of one of those. You have two amazing wins, big-time wins. You're kind of on that high right now, and then you play an unranked team. You know, you think you can you can let off the uh, gas pedal a little bit, and then that's where you run into those issues where, you t- you know, you lose a game you shouldn't lose. Yeah, it, it is 
extremely fun to watch, you know, how certain conferences perform in college baseball. Cause like some of them will have, you know, one or two standout teams, but, and this is a good segue into the rankings that came out on Monday. The SEC is just fantastic. In the top 10 alone, you've got Vandy at 10, Arkansas at 9, Florida at 7, A&M at 5, Ole Miss at 4, Tennessee at 3, and LSU at 1. Like, the SEC's domination of college baseball this season, you know, even just going into the season, is ridiculous. Yeah, and I don't – I think that would just spread out to the last few decades. The SEC has just dominated baseball, and it goes to the fact that we're in a climate to where baseball, a lot of baseball players come from. A lot of people come down here to play baseball because it's warm most all year round. So you're able to play baseball uh, most most of the year. So I think that's another reason why just the recruiting aspect is why the SEC is always able to be so dominant. And yeah. we have the best yeah, and so like I uh, just kind of mentioned with that top 10, so LSU is at one. They started it off 3-0. and uh, I'm pretty sure they weren't really playing anybody, but um, nonetheless, starting off 3-0 and is solid. Stanford, 2-1. and They're at number two. But Tennessee at 1-2 and is the only two-loss team in the top 25, and they're number three in the nation. Yeah, I kind of don't like that. And again, I know I said earlier, it's the beginning of the season, so it's not like it really matters too much. But I, I mean, if they're going to be, you know, actually, if they're if rankings are, oh, we're judging them week, how they are week by week, Tennessee did not prove anything in this first weekend to show that they should be in the top 10. Yeah, and I, I think, like, I would have been fine if they even just moved, like, below five. But only moving back one spot, when you lost to two unranked teams in the first two games of the season, like this is where, you know, we kind of need to set the basis for the rankings. It shouldn't be completely determined by the preseason rankings. And we have the same problem in college football, but you know, there is a ton of games to be played. So let them move back up if they start winning more, but at one and two, like I I wouldn't say right now they'd, you know, play super well in a series against Vandy or Arkansas who are 10 and nine respectively. Like, I I don't know. I just, I can't get behind a two loss team, both losses to unranked teams staying in the top five, let alone the top three. Oh yeah. And especially at top three uh, with teams like Ole Miss, Texas A&M who are right behind them, who just completely dominated their opponents. And this past, uh, this past week, like again, for example, Ole Miss run ruled, Delaware both Saturday and Sunday and on Friday night they won by nine points how how can you say a team that is one and two is better at, at this moment is better than a team who just run ruled an opponent a division one opponent twice and almost a third time yeah it it doesn't really make sense to me whatsoever. And what's a little bit crazier and kind of goes to prove that they don't want to move too much around with the top 25 is that no teams dropped out of the top 25. And I'm just now realizing um, Oklahoma State got two losses as well, but and they dropped from 9 to 15. So that like that is kind of the drop that I thought Tennessee would have had, and they just didn't get it. But... There's teams like Oregon, Texas Tech, South Carolina, Alabama 
they're all 20 to 25 and they're all undefeated. Yeah. Well, and a thing for Tennessee, it's like, shouldn't you want to move back when you get beat that badly? You know, like you should not have lost these two teams and you did move back, get some motivation back in you. Like let the, let, you know, because now it just seems like, Oh, everyone thinks you're going to be this good. So it's going to get more motivation for teams. We don't want to beat you. And it's going to make your players a little more complacent. Like, Oh, look, we may have lost, we can lose these a uh, few games. No big deal. Cause they're still going to rank us high and we're still going to make it to a regional, whatever, you know? Yeah, I think it does have a big impact on the team, especially, you know, going into the season, ranked number two, there's already this expectation that you're going to be great, and that does make players kind of complacent off the rip. But three games into it, you've already lost two games, and all of a sudden you've only moved down one spot. Your players are, just like you just said, your players are like, okay, well, we can lose a couple of games then. But that's not how it should be. Last year, what, Tennessee didn't lose a game for months. They w- they started the year off 31-1. and one. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. And that's how you are a top team in college baseball. You can't lose, you know, a, like, let's say they stay on this track. They've got to drop out of the top 25 by next week's rankings. Yeah, if they cannot win series consistently, they don't deserve being in the top 25. I mean... Again, much like last year when Ole Miss, they started off the year ranked number one, got to number one very quickly. And then as soon as SEC play started, they lost, I think, like the first couple series. And then they dropped out of the top 25. And it wasn't until the last two series they were able to win and get back to breaking even to make it into the top uh, 64 for uh, regionals. And then they made it on Omaha. Yeah. So there's a lot to happen, of course. It's only the beginning but uh, we'll keep y'all updated throughout the season with college baseball. I really enjoyed kind of paying attention to it this weekend, and I'm looking forward to it for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this this week, and Ole Miss is playing number 13, Maryland, at home, and we're number four. So I think it's going to be a great series and be a lot of fun to go and watch. All right. Well, let's talk about the XFL. They had their opening weekend this week as well, and I just kind of want to get your feel for it. I don't really care about the results of the games. There's not, you know, I don't really have stake in it. But, you know, there's a couple of just weird rules with it. So, um, you know, instead of an onside kick, the trailing team can maintain possession by running a fourth and 15 play on its own 25-yard line. And it worked for one of the teams. And it came out later that this exact same rule had been brought to NFL owners in the past. And, of course, it didn't get enough votes. It's kind of ridiculous. But, like, on top of that, you have the three different um, like extra point options outside of just kicking a field goal, which is from the two, it's a one-point conversion. From the five, it's a two-point conversion. And from the ten, it's a three-point conversion. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of like it because it does make the game more exciting. You can change it up when you're not the NFL. This is a, a secondary organization. This is basically like a minor league organization. They're not going to, it's not traditional football. You can play around a little more with it. So I kind of like the different rules and you can, like you said, the, um, you can get up to three points on a, on a, uh, PAT, but I think it's very interesting for the XFL to do this, but, and none of this should go into the NFL. Yeah. I think it's just like a, it's a way to, you know, make a developmental league a little bit more fun. Um, you know, because like every other sport, 
its developmental leagues are just the exact same game with worse players. Like, that's just how it is. But you make this a little bit more fun for these guys. It gives them, you know, more opportunities possibly to show off, you know, what their talents are. And um, I, I do think that it could work out well for a couple of guys. You'll definitely see plenty of these guys getting onto practice squads as we get later into the season, kind of more into the NFL preseason time. I I can definitely see some of these players, you know, just hopping on a practice squad or even making it on an NFL roster. Yeah, I, I really uh, – I agree with that, you know. And after the season, maybe some of them can get signed on to the contract, you know, one, two, three years maybe. Or they're uh, – I mean, especially for, like, quarterbacks, for example. Maybe they just need someone who's, you know, young. They just need a bridge quarterback for a few years while they're in this rebuilding, and then they're going to spend their money on getting their next uh, – big time quarterback or they just need one offensive or defensive weapon for a year. And so I think it's going to be good for those guys to be able to get that extra chance to continue to play the sport they love. Yeah, I agree. Uh, something fun I saw though, the, uh, the fans of the DC defenders, um, <laughs> they, uh, had a beer snake going. The security at the stadium confiscated the beer snake and the fans proceeded to throw whole lemons on the field. <laughs> Where do they get these lemons? I couldn't tell you, but there was just like, like there was one point that one of the camera guys, like you just see like a lemon in the end zone. He like picks it up and just like shows it to the camera. (laughs) That is so funny. Yeah. So you know what? Keep giving the DC defenders fans lemons. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of like, again, I like this league because it's, it's not. It's never going to rival the NFL, but I think it's a really fun league for people that are just you know looking for something to do on a Saturday or a Sunday. Just hey, let's go do this. Yeah, and then we saw plenty of familiar faces in the XFL uh, over the weekend. So I just have a list of some guys that I recognize their names as I was going along. So former Packers wide receiver Geronimo Allison. Uh, former Steelers wide receiver Martavius Bryant, former Falcons edge rusher Vic Beasley, those guys are all playing for the Vegas Vipers. Uh, former Broncos quarterback Paxton Lynch and former Steelers wide receiver Eli Rogers are on the Orlando Guardians. Paxton, Paxton Lynch actually uh, broke a record today. Uh, he is the first player to be benched in the NFL, XFL, CFL, USFL, and maybe one other. Huh. I, I actually did see that. Um, that's that's impressive. It is. Uh, 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 Tom Brady never did it. Yeah, so he can say he's he has a record that Tom Brady can't break. Yep. Paxton Lynch, the greatest of all time. Well, you could say that. <laughs> all right. And then we saw former Bengals and Alabama quarterback A.J. McCarron for the St. Louis uh, Battle Hawks, as well as former Falcons running back Brian Hill. And then former Notre Dame uh, quarterback Jack Cohn and former Florida State running back Jaquez Patrick playing for the San Antonio Brahmas. And then for the Seattle Sea Dragons, we saw former Cowboys quarterback Ben DiNucci and former Browns wide receiver Josh Garden or Gordon. Uh, those two connected on a touchdown. That that Josh Gordon catch was wild. He like stepped like one foot forward and just threw out one hand in the end zone and just like caught the ball with one hand like pushed out in front of him. 
Yeah, no, I saw that. That was wild. Yeah, and then um, for the D.C. defenders, we saw two different uh, college football quarterbacks um, that we recognize here. Uh, former Ole Miss quarterback Jordan Te'amu and former Miami quarterback Derek King. Yeah, and uh, Jordan Te'amu, he plays in uh, – oh, oh, he plays in D.C. now. I thought he used to play for uh, St. Louis. Yeah, he's he's in DC now. Uh, both of those guys got a couple of snaps. Uh, I think Tiamu was the primary starter, though. So this kind of brings me to like, do you think that the XFL can be a solid de- de- developmental league for the NFL? Uh, I'm pretty sure that the format of the league is nobody's really on a contract. Uh, like, there's no like year, like multi-year contracts or anything. It's pretty much like. You get everybody gets paid this amount every time you play a game or every week. If you play in the game, you get more. If you win, you get more. If you, you know, do a certain thing, you get more. And then, like, if you win, like, make the playoffs, win the championship, whatever, there's bonuses throughout the season. And then at the very end of the season, everybody gets cut and they can just sign to NFL rosters. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw, I think. We might have talked about this before. I saw it somewhere where I saw that they were just getting paid week by week almost. I kind of like that, but at the same time, it's this is a at any point, you know, it's that scary moment. It's like back in the original days of pro leagues, I could be cut and lose my job at any moment. And so you're giving up so much to be able to play this a stable job. And a lot of these guys have families now and they're a lot, you know, ex NFL athletes. So they've are older they have families they have responsibilities now so i feel like they're giving up a lot i kind of wish they did at least get a contract but i think with the way the money works that's the best way they can do it until eventually they get a built up enough of a fan base where they can give contracts and things like that yeah i agree i think that you know just giving people uh, the ability to just get reps in during the nfl offseason is a fantastic idea no matter what and, you know, properly compensating them is great. But, you know, not having guaranteed money, it definitely helps the league out more. Because if you guarantee these guys money and all of the sudden things aren't going well for the league, then you find yourself in a horrible spot where you're not only, you're not just fucked over. You're fucking over, uh, you know, eight teams worth of athletes that you can't pay. So, they all understand the situation. It's week by week, and you know if this thing doesn't work out, they're all aware that they're not going to get their money. Yeah. Well, I think that's, if you recall, the uh, AAF, the Alliance of American Football, I think that's what they ran into, as, as well as COVID. But um, I remember I went to a couple of the Atlanta games, and they were fun. A lot of people went to them. But they had a lot of contract. Everyone was on contract, but the the way they were set up is they were set up to be one day be the uh, basically minor league team for the NFL, and so their contracts were set up. Set up. They were not. You know, you weren't getting paid millions of dollars. You getting paid enough money to make a to you know live on. But they could also in the contract it was they could their com- contract could be ended at any moment if they get caught up to the NFL. Yeah. Which it does work very well, but um, like you said, the guaranteed money is a problem, and especially for a league that 
nobody knows if these are ever going to be successful. We've tried them for years and years, and it doesn't seem like any of them really stick around. So, you know, maybe guys favor the CFL route. Maybe guys favor, you know, different routes um, to go through for this. But I think it is a good idea. It's just about how well can they execute this. Like right now, you're already in a good spot. You've got a TV deal with ESPN. They're they're showing the games on ESPN. They showed one of the games, I think, on ABC. Like they're putting them in a good position to be successful and for this league to make money. And I, I think that there's a good chance that the XFL is the one that works out just from how they've set it up so far. Yeah, and I think the XFL has a much better chances because I remember last year when the USFL was around, they were just they only played in Birmingham and they had you know all these other city uh, teams, but they never played in those cities because the only stadium they rented was in Birmingham. How are you going to build the fan base of Seattle if they don't play in Seattle? Yeah, exactly. Whereas with this league, what they do is. Everybody stays in, I want to say it's in Arlington or somewhere in Texas, I believe. Everybody is there. And then for every week, and like that's where all the practice facilities are. That's where they have everybody like staying. That is just how it works. And then for every game, they fly them out to the respective cities they're playing in. Yeah, and I'm sure as we kind of talk about uh, in the few, and hopefully for them, and because the, I, I actually really like this idea of spring football. In the coming years, getting to be able to build the fan base and build it up to where they can uh, get practice facilities in these cities so they can start doing community events and continuing to brand themselves much like NFL teams do. I think it's a great idea. All right. Well, let's get into the NFL news. Eric Bieniemy is officially the assistant head coach and offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. I'm so glad that he's finally at least found a new job because I think that's what people have been waiting for. Like, you know, the the first thing was obviously like, oh, Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach in the NFL. But he kept missing out on that opportunity. I think he's interviewed for like 15 head coaching jobs at this point. Take this job, prove yourself somewhere else, a place that definitely is a place where you could prove yourself because they're in a bad spot right now. And just, you know, make things happen. Yeah, I think he said it the best. is This is another opportunity for him to prove himself and a much better opportunity for him to prove himself. Yeah, exactly. So um, next thing, uh, Philadelphia uh, tried to keep um, Jonathan Gannon on the staff. They, um, they came back and said, here's a new offer. It's going to pay you more than being a head coach. And he still took the head coaching job in Arizona. And I don't blame him. If, as every coach, their goal was to one day be a head coach. And since he has been so successful, if why not take this opportunity of being a head coach and getting to do your own thing, have your own program and run it? Because there are very few times you actually get those opportunities. Why not go ahead and take it now while you have it? Yeah, and Jonathan Gannon... Um said uh, in some kind of I think it was in his press conference he said that if Kyler Murray wasn't there he wasn't going to take that job which is kind of interesting because uh, I think it's um, 
just kind of a fan's consensus that Kyler Murray sucks and yeah. he shouldn't be leading this team. But, you know, maybe Jonathan Gannon really sees something that he could work on with Kyler Murray. Just, you know, is Kyler willing to work on himself? Yeah, I think that's a great uh, point to make there. And going to what we said with him not being the best is I think Kyler is still a good quarterback to have back there while you're trying to rebuild. I don't think worth a lot of money, but I think he's a great quarterback to have back there while he's trying to fix his team, fix his team up, you know, fix all the issues, get a better – because doesn't DeAndre Hopkins want to leave now? Probably. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that want to leave. But, you know, if you can kind of keep the core there and keep the young guys there, you put yourself in a pretty good spot. And you've got a top – what, they've got the number three pick? Yes, I I want to say that, yeah. So, yeah, you're in a great spot. You've got your head coach. You've got kind of – you have a quarterback. I'm not going to say you don't have a quarterback because Kyler Murray is one. He just needs to stay healthy and needs to stop making bad decisions, which is hard to teach. But uh, there's a lot of ways that this could work out well for Arizona. But let's talk about another team – that might be looking at a quarterback, and it kind of caught me off guard. So per Mike Fisher, the Cowboys are intrigued by Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud in the draft. So the only way they're getting Stroud is to trade up into the top four because there's most likely Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud will be off the board once the top four is over. And this is kind of crazy because most likely what you'd have to trade to get up there is Dak Prescott, which I think is a fantastic idea. Yeah, and I think this kind of goes to they have a quarterback, and he's a good quarterback at it, but I don't think he's the guy. And, I mean, if you don't think he's the guy and they have a great team, why not make take that risk? Yeah, I, I think it could work out very well. Obviously, you know, there's always a chance that a guy comes into the league and just doesn't have it, but... At this point, Dak doesn't really have it. So why not try something out? Yeah, and I mean, uh, like exactly what you said, why not try it out? You have, you do have a lot to lose, but like not, not really. I feel like there, he never really did too much in Dallas to for him for them to move on from him for it to be too big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, it's not like he won them a Super Bowl. Like he got them to the playoffs a couple of times. And I wouldn't really give the full credit to him. He's had some some great defenses, um, some you know great play from Ezekiel Elliott has really helped them out. Things like that have really boosted what Dak Prescott has done in Dallas. But yeah, I think that them moving on. I've said it you know since they lost that playoff game to the 49ers, is that they need to move on. And I, I think that C.J. Stroud would obviously be a great choice. But let's talk. Another coaching change, the Chargers defensive coordinator, Ronaldo Hill, is leaving the Chargers to go be the defensive pass game coordinator for the Dolphins and join his um, and reunite with Vic Fangio. This is kind of crazy. So Brandon Staley allowed this to happen. Um, It wasn't like his contract was up or anything. They had to approve this move, and they did. But why is Ronaldo Hill getting kind of a demotion to go be the passing game or the defensive passing game coordinator. That is definitely the demotion right there. Maybe he, 
usually, you know, in moves like that, they think it's the best, you know, there's usually something going on within the program and it's, they think it's, you know, about to turn into a dumpster fire and they want to get out before whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what's really going on because the Chargers defense is one of their best pieces. They've got a bunch of solid players on that defense. You know, why would Ronaldo Hill kind of give that up? But, you know, maybe it's kind of a prove it type thing. He's obviously reuniting with a guy he's already worked for in Vic Fangio, but he's also leaving a, a Chargers organization that's in a very weird spot. Yeah, and I feel like the Chargers, they no matter what they do, they just can't seem to win. They can't get any fans. They can't, you know, win the games to be great. You know, they're good, but they just can't, they just don't have it, you know, quite yet. They're, like you said, they're, it's a very weird situation that they're in. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get into kind of a funny story. So, DK Metcalf posted a picture on his Instagram story of a text from the NFL offices saying that they were requiring him to put up a performance enhancing drug test following the, Obviously, fake video of him jumping like 10 feet in the air to catch a ball and also winning the MVP of the NBA All-Star or Celebrity All-Star Game. Yeah. Um, one thing I have to say is DK Metcalf is extremely athletic. I feel like no matter what sport he played, he would be one of the best players. I mean, just look at him. He's a freak. Uh, and I, he he was actually uh, here at Ole Miss playing. He was coming to our basketball, like our gym, and playing basketball like with everybody at pickup, all like for the last three weeks. I was like, "What is he doing here? Why is he?" And obviously, he decided to come home because you know he's from Oxford, Mississippi. So I guess he decided to come home and said, "Hey, why not go play? Uh, prepare with some basketball." And he was here for like all day long playing pickup basketball and now it makes sense because I didn't I didn't realize he was in the uh, all the MVP or sorry the uh, uh celebrity all-star game and that dude just watching him in real life just proves how athletic he is it is insane yeah I, I just think it's so funny that like I think it's a great thing that NFL players and like professional athletes in general have become like more open with like what the league requires of them like just randomly getting uh, or sorry a quote unquote randomly being requested a performance enhancing drug test after the two things that have happened over the weekend is so funny to me and I, I think it's great for like the fandom of these leagues to see like you know the kind of the inner workings that we don't typically see from professional athletes yeah I mean I think it's, I find those random drug tests again air quotes. I find those so funny because, like, my one of the favorite, my funny, the one of the my favorites I thought was the funniest was when uh, that uh, one game a few years ago when Miles Garrett decided to wear no uh, shirt underneath his jersey and his arms were like you know freaking massive, and he that, right after that game he went on to have a great game and he had that uh, the random drug test, like that's just that's just the, I don't know I just think that's so dumb. Yeah, it's so obvious when they're yeah. going to drug test somebody. It's like, oh, he had a really good game. Oh, he looked really big. Like, let's drug test him. But let's get into some interesting conversations because it seems like 
the entire idea of Justin Fields in Chicago just continues to shift. And now it's at a point where Mike Tannenbaum went on ESPN and said that the Bears would be better off trading Justin Fields and drafting Bryce Young. He said, Bryce Young's ceiling is way higher than Justin Fields. I think Bryce Young has a chance to be a great player. I think Justin Fields has a chance to be a good player. And then writing just off the back of this, Todd McShay also agreed. He believes that the Bears should trade Justin Fields and draft Bryce Young, saying that Bryce Young is an upgrade over Justin Fields. I think those are both very hot takes because they took such a chance on Justin Fields once. But, I mean, I could see there are a lot of things that go this, I think, would work. Like, you can trade Justin Fields because I still think he's going to be a really good player. I don't think, like, again, I don't think he's ever going to be a uh, go down in history as one of the best players ever. But I think he's going to be a good player, an extremely good player at that. And I think you can draft uh, Bryce Young here and then trade Justin Fields for uh, numerous draft picks or players or something to build your team back up. So I think it would actually be a good call to do that. Yeah, I agree. I I, I do think it it's kind of an interesting move to just go ahead and move on. I just don't know if... That, like I don't know if I'm ready to say that Bryce Young is or will be a better quarterback than Justin Fields because all we've talked about is how Bryce Young doesn't size up well for the NFL and that he's really small and people are worried about his stature. Like That's all we say. Justin Fields is in the NFL and he's doing it. Like I, I feel like you... I have to see Bryce Young really prove it before I'd say that he's better than Justin Fields right now. Like that's a that's a wild take by Todd McShay to just go ahead and say that Bryce Young is an upgrade over Justin Fields. Yeah, I think that is a very outlandish claim right now because like we said, we talked about how small he is and all the things he can't really help. But I do think he's a great quarterback, but again, it at least takes two years for a player to like fully adjust into the NFL and show what they're worth. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Bryce Young and on, and maybe even another coaching and a whole big issue going in Chicago. If Bryce Young doesn't come out and is Peyton Manning in the first year. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll just have to see. That's kind of the gamble of, that you know GMs have to make in the NFL is how will this guy translate and you know do we know if he's going to be better cuz you know there's plenty of times where a team drafts a guy over a different guy and then you know by the end of the season everybody's like what were they thinking but it's like everybody else thought the same thing cuz there was other teams that didn't draft him that could have used him as well so you know we'll we'll see what happens with that but let's talk Daniel Jones so he is in the process of making his agent change. Uh, so he's switching from CAA and joining Athletes First. But it kind of appears that this is coming off of the – or this is kind of coming because he's going into free agency. There's a maybe a franchise tag in his future. And I'm pretty sure that I saw that he turned down $35 million, which is wild. I don't think Daniel Jones is worth more than $35 million a year. And the fact that he turned it down and he's making a, a, a representation change right, like right now is odd timing. 
and again, it it could be more than just the money. It could be like other things in the contract. And they just said, oh, he turned down $35 million. We don't fully know. But, yeah, I agree with you. He is not worth more than $35 million. He's a good quarterback, had a good year. But I don't think he's that amazing of a player that he should be getting paid top-tier money. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of crazy. Let's talk. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I also saw that uh, Saquon is also going to be going up here soon. I would rather ha- draft a new quarterback or sign a new quarterback and keep Saquon in a big-time deal than get, keep Daniel Jones. Well, yeah, I think that their best situation right now for the New York Giants is sign Saquon pretty much whatever he wants and franchise tag Daniel Jones. Yeah, I think, the, again, like good for him for uh, go trying to make as much money as he can, but I think he might end up, especially after the Saquon deal, not making as much and staying with New York if you know that's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, we'll just have to see, you know, where the Giants, where their minds at right now. They're coming off of their best season in a long time, making the playoffs, winning a game in the playoffs. Daniel Jones had a fantastic year. Saquon had a pretty good year, and. You know, it's just about what they value at this moment based on what they've got. But let's talk about Andy Reid real quick. He's currently on pace to be the winningest head coach of all time. Uh, He's also on pace to make the most conference championships, make the second most Super Bowls, and will have the second most Super Bowl wins of all time if he can coach until age 70, which is only six more seasons. So at the moment, his win percentage, Super Bowl appearance percentage, and Super Bowl wins percentage with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback are all the highest in the history of the NFL. Sorry. Oh, I think it all just goes down to what he wants to do. Because, again, he's made a name for himself. He will go down in NFL history no matter what happens. It just depends on if he wants, to, you know, if he wants to keep coaching. Compete. Obviously, right now he looks like he's finally continuing to coach for as long as possible. But I mean, you know, who knows? You know, anything, a number of things could happen. Uh, health issue, anything could keep take him out of coaching. But I mean, from what it seems like, he wants to keep coaching, and it looks like he loves doing it, and having fun. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's talk. Real quick, I saw this interesting graphic about ACL tears by NFL teams across the last 10 years, and I don't know what's going on in Denver that they've had 26 total, but in 2022, they had five. In 2020, they had six, and in 2019, they had four. Like, what is happening right now in Denver, as well as San Francisco? Because across their team, they had 23 in the last 10 years. Like, what are they doing wrong? Um, yeah, that's a great question. As well as, now, does this count at playing at every stadium or just at their home stadium? So this is just throughout the entire season. But, okay. you know, they're going to play more games at their stadium than anywhere. Yeah. I would like to see a graphic as well, like, compared to this, like, the, uh, the there are 10 turf fields in the NFL. Uh, I, I think there's... It's either like 10, maybe 14, but um, out of the top 10 uh, on this list of teams, only three of them have turf fields. Yeah, that is just crazy that, that because I mean, again, we all associate a lot of 
tear, torn ligaments, concussions, all that stuff with turf field. But looking at this, you know, you, you now we can see the argument of why the NFL is like, why would we change from turf or, you know, make these turf fields change? If, you know, look, look at these graphics again, Denver, we know that's a grass field. Why should, you know, so I, I can see the argument there for uh, the, the anti-turf. I'm anti-turf personally because I think natural grass is just best for the body when it comes to all of that. Yeah, um, I'm kind of on the same side. But it is interesting to see because, you know, out of the top 10, the three turf fields, two of the teams in the top 10, the Giants and Jets, share a home stadium. So, you know, it's really – there's um, eight stadiums out of the top nine that uh, are – uh, natural grass so it, it's it's wild but let's move on from this uh, the Eagles have interviewed former Wisconsin defensive coordinator and their former interim head coach Jim Leonard as they look to fill their DC spot uh, Jim Leonard obviously had a 10-year NFL career as a safety and supposedly is very respected in circles uh, across the league as a defensive coordinator I think this would be a great move uh, obviously, Wisconsin hasn't done anything, you know, fantastic in, in, a, in a few years now, but I think Jim Leonard is a solid coach, and obviously he's got the experience at, you know, the top level to know what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a that'd be a pretty good, uh, pretty good signing by uh, the Eagles to get him. Yep, and then. We've got a couple of um, the PFF rankings throughout the year. So Sauce Gardner, the rookie, came in as the highest-graded cornerback this season, which is just fantastic. Yeah. I always love when a rookie can do some amazing things. And he was nothing short of amazing this year. That's for sure. And then Chris Jones uh, broke Aaron Donald's eight-year streak as the highest-graded interior defender, which it, it kind of made sense. Chris Jones was definitely the best defensive tackle throughout this whole season, and he really showed it in the playoffs. Well, and also, didn't Aaron Donald get hurt this year? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, that's crazy, though, that Aaron Donald had eight straight years of being the best person at his position. Yeah, there was more Rams logos than uh, defensive <laughs> tackles that were higher graded. Yeah. That is just so crazy to me. And then Trent Williams uh, is the highest graded offensive tackle uh, this season for the third year in a row. That's that's fantastic. I think he's gotten it five times in the last ten years. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was about to say Aaron Donald. It's very crazy that some positions there, like there's just like right now there are two basically generational talents in the NFL. You know, as we can see, Aaron Donald's closer towards the end, but. Trent Williams, you know, it's still early on on his career, and we'll get to see a lot more of him. Yeah, and he's doing fantastic stuff. And it's so fun to kind of look at these things and just see, like, oh, I didn't really think about that guy being the best at his position, which obviously, you know, the PFF grade doesn't completely – it's not all-encompassing, but when it comes down to it, it's a pretty big deal if you're one of the highest-rated players at your position. Yeah. Uh, again, yeah, you're exactly right. All right, well, let's talk, you know, what Eric Bieniemy's got going on in Washington because at the moment, Sam Howell is QB1 
entering the offseason. How do you feel about this? Do you think the commanders should make a move at a quarterback, look for one in the draft, or should they just stick it out with Sam Howell? I think Sam Howell's a good enough quarterback as of right now for them to go. He doesn't have the most experience, you know, he's still young. But I think he's good enough right now for them not to make want to have to do anything crazy at quarterback. Now, if there's a if they end up in a situation to where they can just get get someone who's really good and you know just land them, I, I wouldn't blame them. But right now, I think Sam Howell wouldn't be too bad to stick with for right now. All right, and then looks like Jonathan Gannon has filled his roles at the coordinator spot. So the offensive coordinator, Drew Petzing, who was most recently the Browns quarterback coach and uh, previously was in Minnesota where he worked with Jonathan Gannon, and he's a pretty young assistant coach. And then he also hired the youngest coordinator now in the NFL, 29-year-old Eagles linebackers coach Nick Rallis as the defensive coordinator. This is... Very interesting. Jonathan Gannon, a relatively young head coach in you know the scheme of the NFL, and then picking up two pretty young coordinators. It is interesting because I'd like to see a guy with a ton of experience on this you know coaching staff to kind of help out not only a young coaching staff but a young roster as well. See, I kind of like the, all the youngness here because I think there's there's going to be something. That's changing there because every time you get a very young coaching staff along with a young roster, they do something different that just other people don't wouldn't even think about doing because they've been doing the same same way for so many years. This gives a much completely different, I feel like almost a different point of view of coaching and how the outlook of a football game from having such a young staff. And I just like the I love the idea of young guy of younger people getting the opportunity. Uh, opportunities to be coordinators now and getting to show themselves and show the, Hey, like just cause I'm young doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I do think that's a great idea um, of kind of changing the way that the whole franchise looks when you make a head coaching change, because if you do kind of stick to the same thing, you know, what was the use in making these changes, but yeah, I agree. Finding young guys kind of revolutionizing your franchise is, can can be, you know, can pay out in, in loads, but let's talk a little bit more about Bryce Young. Former general manager, Rick Spielman said that if Bryce Young was 6'2", 210 to 220, he'd be seen as generational. His tape is that good. I think that's true, but He also said he's notably better than both Tua and Mac Jones from the same offense with less help. He's just worryingly small. I actually agree with this comment. I think if Bryce Young was taller and a little bigger, he would be they would he would be renowned as the next Tom Brady or next Peyton Manning, whatever. That he would be the next guy in the NFL. But, you know, due to his size, he doesn't really get looked at. Because, I mean, he's listed at, I believe, 6'1". But we all know when they do that, they give you about an inch, two inches. Yeah, I think he's more like 5'11", maybe. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, for example, like Drew Brees, he was 5'11", as well, I'm pretty sure. And he went on to hold NFL records and have a great career. So your height doesn't really matter too much to me but it's just you know the size is how much pain and how much beating on can he go through 
um, in these coming years because I'm um, being a smaller guy. It's and getting hit by those big old 300 pound defensive linemen. It it hurts. All right, well, let's talk. Uh, a couple of guys that are going to be eligible for second contracts. The four quarterbacks taken in the 2020 draft uh, being Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and Tua Tagovailoa. Who do you think out of this group not only signs first, but who signs the biggest deal money-wise? This is so hard because all four of them are really good. (laughs) Tua... With his injuries and the Dolphins being the Dolphins there for a little bit, he's probably I, – I think we can go ahead and take him out. But Herbert, they're going to want to keep him there because they need a – they if they get, if Herbert leaves, then that program falls apart again. And they go back to being one of the worst teams. I mean, Burrow is literally the mayor of Cincinnati. And uh, just – and Hertz just brought the Eagles to a Super Bowl. So it's so hard to say who I think oh, – I think all three of them are going to get insane contracts. Yeah, I think that with with the way that, like, the cap is working out right now, I think Burrow probably has the best um, opportunity to get the biggest contract. Um, you know, the, the Eagles have a lot of money wrapped up in some guys and they got a lot of guys to address this off season. And then Herbert, the, the chargers are already in cap hell. So it's hard for them to give him a big extension, but you know, it, it looks like they might cut Keenan Allen to save some money that would probably contribute to that Justin Herbert deal. But I think as of right now, I'd probably say Joe Burrow will probably be the one that gets the, the biggest contract mo- money wise. And it would make sense. Joe Burrow is the best of all of them, in my opinion. Yep, uh, I'm in the same boat. All right, well, let's talk uh, a couple of things about the top four quarterbacks in this draft class. So the pressure to sack rate of the potential first-round quarterbacks and where they rank among the 140 qualifying quarterbacks. So number one, Anthony Richardson at a 9.2%. That puts him at 11th of the 140 quarterbacks that qualify. I think this is mainly just because he's the most like scrambler type, like mobile quarterback of the four. But, you know, regardless of that, 9.2% when it comes to pressure to sack rate is fantastic. Yeah, that is very impressive, especially by him. Like, I saw him miss, I, I guess getting the ball out is really good. It's just got to be his accuracy. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem there. And then Bryce Young comes in second among these four, 33rd overall with a 12.5%. C.J. Stroud just about there, uh, just about even with Bryce Young at a 14.1%. That puts him in 40th. And then Will Levis, our favorite guy in this draft class, 26.8% of the time he is getting sacked when he's pressured. That puts him at 130th out of the 140 qualifying quarterbacks. Yeah, I think uh, Will Levis people just hopped on him way too quickly because he's got a cannon and has the size. But if whoever takes him, they're going to have a couple years they're going to have to work with him before he becomes a good NFL talent. Yeah, we'll just have to see. And then 
Let's talk a little bit more about coaching. So the Chiefs senior offensive assistant and quarterbacks coach Matt Nagy, former Chicago Bears head coach, is expected to take the offensive coordinator role from Eric Bieniemy after his leaving. Uh, Nagy is a top candidate to eventually replace Andy Reid, per sources, likely in the next three years. So we'll just have to see with that. I don't think that's a good idea at all. Matt Nagy was a horrible coach in Chicago. I don't think that, you know, too much is going to change from how he was in Chicago versus how he is now. Obviously, learning from Andy Reid, working under Eric Bieniemy, that's going to help you out a little bit. But, shit, he was a really bad head coach in Chicago. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, He just... Maybe, again, you know, who knows? Maybe it's just change of scenery he needed. Maybe Chicago just was so bad in every aspect that he would be better in, uh, you know, somewhere like uh, Kansas City where they have such great players and a great team already. But I think uh, when it when the time comes, I think that's going to be a very interesting call to see who they take to replace Andy Reid. Yep. And then the Jets are bringing in free agent Derek Carr for a visit. He he hasn't decided on his team yet. Uh, it'll be his second meeting with the team after uh, visiting with the Saints before his release by the Raiders. And it looks like Derek Carr is really going to evaluate everything. Um, his brother, David Carr, said that it's going to be a long process. He wants to do his due diligence and see as many places as he can to get a feel for the best place for him. And I, I think it's a great move by Derek Carr, but... It also kind of, if you take too long, you might lose the opportunity at one of these teams. Yeah, I have to agree. And I think, I really think the Saints would be a pretty good landing spot for him. But uh, something about him going to Saints just would make sense to me. Yeah, I do like that move. He's got some weapons there in the receiving game already. You know, young guys like Chris Olave, who's, you know, just got drafted, had a fantastic rookie year. And then you've still got Michael Thomas. You've got Jarvis Landry, some guys like that. And then you have Kamara in the backfield, who had a bad season this year, but there's no telling what he'll do in the future. So, yeah, I think that would be a good spot for Derek Carter land, but there's plenty of opportunities for him to find a good spot. And then. Per Bob McGinn, he said that the Green Bay Packers have all but moved on from Aaron Rodgers. That's, I mean, I don't blame them. Uh, it's, I, I said it a lot during the season. They've given and given and given so much to Aaron Rodgers. At this point, why continue doing it? They just need to move on, cut their losses with him, and just go to the next guy. Yeah. And then... Something interesting. So C.J. Gardner-Johnson of the Eagles got fined $14,111 for lowering his helmet to initiate contact with a Chiefs player in the Super Bowl. I absolutely hate these like retroactive fines where like something doesn't get called. It's not something that anybody really noticed in the game. And just all of a sudden, C.J. Gardner-Johnson has to pay $14,000. Oh, yeah. When I saw that, I actually got mad. The NFL, all they want is the money. You know, they're all they care about is the money and all that. They don't care about players' safety. It's that they know they can get more money if they find them by doing these stupid fines like this. I don't under also, like, I saw the video. How else are you supposed to tackle now? Like, they're trying so hard to make football this touch sport because. Oh, it's gonna be more people will watch and all this if we let let them score more. Like at this point, just take out the defense from football. 
I'm just sick and tired of all these stupid ass rules the NCAA and the NFL keep putting in because it's just ruining football. And I'm not trying to think an old man, but like they're just at what point are you just like, it is a football hit. Like there's nothing else that they can do to prevent that. I understand there's a lot. Like I like the defenseless player rule because I do see a lot of hits. And I'm just like, that was so unnecessary. There needs to be a flag there. But I'll say about six times out of 10, the flag's unnecessary. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, let's kind of run through the rest of this NFL news pretty quickly. We're in a little bit of a time crunch today. Uh, so Aaron Jones will be staying in Green Bay this off or this season. Uh, they reached an agreement on $11 million salary for 2023 with an $8 million signing bonus. And then Trey Lance uh, said that he does not want to be anywhere else but San Francisco, which is interesting. I feel like a young quarterback would probably want to get reps and obviously he's going to compete for that quarterback job, but I, well, I think this is a weird thing to say for Trey Lance. He said, hey, I know what everyone talks about. Being the backup quarterback is the best job in the world. I never have to worry about getting injured, and I only and when I can go in and I play good, I'm a hero. It's a, it's a fair point. Uh, speaking of uh, quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson is about to have the biggest cap hit in NFL history with a – 54 almost 55 million dollar cap hit in 2023 that is ridiculous for a guy who we don't even know if he's going to play as well as he did in the past yeah that is insane and then let's see Robbie Anderson uh, has officially changed his first name to Chosen so he is now Chosen Anderson very interesting I think it's kind of cool I hope it helps with his uh, play. Yeah, maybe. And then uh, Miko Hardman uh, had a successful groin repair surgery in Philadelphia this morning. Um, and, you know, he's going into free agency. So hopefully he can get back quickly. But I think this is kind of going to hurt his negotiating with a couple of teams. Yeah. Um, man, a groin injury, that's that's terrible. Yeah, that, that really sucks. And then uh, Matt Ryan uh, is supposedly looking into broadcasting as a career after football, which I think is great. I think Matt Ryan is a, a fantastic, uh, like, he has a fantastic knowledge of the game. He was always kind of a smart quarterback, really mm-hmm. had good vision. So I think that it makes a, a solid broadcaster. Yeah, now this brings me to a, a quick question I just want to say. Now, you know how in the MLB they have specific play callers for each team. Do you think they'd ever do something like that for the NFL? I don't think so, just because broadcasting isn't regional as much in the NFL. Like, you know, like we watch a Braves game on Bally Sports South, and, you know, somebody else watches a, a like they watch a Yankees game on the Yes Network. Like, it, it it's different because there's not, you know, like, multiple different stations hiring their uh call like their play-by-play and, and color commentators whereas in the nfl you've got you know like fox cbs nbc and espn are the only ones with broadcasting teams fox and cbs are the only ones with a bunch of broadcasting teams and, and amazon as well um has one but yeah I, I don't see that happening i just think matt ryan will probably just 
end up on one of the like alternate CBS or Fox broadcasting teams. Yeah, I think he'll be good because, like you said, he really was like, a smart quarterback, and he did very well in his time in Atlanta. And uh, I, I really hope hope that he does well. But I, I think I've said before, it's time for him to retire. I really hope he gets at least like a one day contract with Atlanta, or he we sign him for a year or something for him to retire as a Falcon. Yep, and then Evan Ingram wants to return to Jacksonville on a long term deal but is open to the franchise tag. There's supposedly interest for him to stay on both sides, which I think is a fantastic move. Evan Ingram was very good in Jacksonville this year. Yeah, he really had a bounce-back year after the years in uh, New York. and I think his years in New York was a combination of just the team itself and the environment of the Giants at the time, which is not a good space for most players. and. He just needed to get out, and being uh, down in Jacksonville, he did a great job, and I really hope he gets a long-term deal. All right, well, that brings us into some college football news. So this is kind of a trending topic right now. Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, who doesn't use social media during the year, said he was being Venmoed from people so that they could criticize his play. He was quoted as saying, it was insane, but at the end of the day, it comes with the territory. This is like next-level shit-talking. That is the funniest thing I have heard from this past college football season that people literally wanted – people think their opinions matter so much that they went all the way through Venmoing him or requesting or whatever to bother him. Yeah. Like people not realize they that their, their opinions mean nothing to him. Yeah, it's <laughs> – it is wild what people will go to just to talk shit about some, you know, college kid. But um, Dabo Sweeney, uh, our just, you know, least favorite human on the face of the earth, is now blasting college football playoff expansion. He said, I get beat up for this all – or I get beat up for all this time, and I re- and I don't really care. Shut the fuck up, Dabo. You, you'd have made the college football playoff last year if it was, if, if it was yeah. expanded. Like – there, there's multiple teams, including you, that can make it now because they're expanding the playoff. Stop trying to be like, oh, well, I had to, you know, really work my ass off to get my team there. No, no, shut up. Yeah, no, I'm just sick and tired of him in general because all he does is whine and moan about things. And he could have gone, he could just shut his mouth and continue to be the coach that everyone likes. Oh, we're this. We were a team that came out of nowhere and beat Alabama and da 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 whatever it was for those few years. And they're still a good team, don't get me wrong. But now all he does is run his mouth, and he's no one's starting to like him. And I really love that he's becoming a villain because I cannot stand him. And I'm tired of him no matter what it is. He's always trying to turn it into something or another about himself, and I'm just tired of it. Yeah, uh, he's the worst. Uh, Haha Clinton Dix, now a part of the Alabama coaching staff, went on Twitter and said, First day on the job, I got an ass chewing from Coach Saban. One down, five million to go. Yeah, I, I believe that. Nick Saban, I mean, he's the, he runs his, he does things in a certain way for a reason. I couldn't imagine, I, I, you, I just know. He gets on to you for like the smallest things ever because it's perfection with the Alabama football program. Yeah, uh, and it's funny just you know coming from a former Alabama player to hear him <laughs> just like, yeah, it's gonna happen. 
Yeah. Oh, he knows what's coming. He he spent four years doing it as a player. Now he's the dude on the other side. Yeah. And then um, some interesting stuff. And I, I'd like to get into this one more. We just don't have time. But the college football commissioners are thinking about changing the game's clock rules dramatically, including keeping time running after incomplete passes in an effort to protect player safety and also shorten the length of games. I think that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It sure is, and we could talk forever about this, but yeah, I, I don't think that college football needs to reduce the amount of time the games are. I know that, you know, like I said, it's an effort to protect player safety, but how many times is fatigue really the problem in college football players' injuries? It's typically the other way where, like, you know, it's just like big hits, things like that cause injuries much more often than just, you know, like stamina. Yeah. Well, it, I'll tell you right now, I've done it for a project before. If you want to see how football games got as long as they did, it's from the commercialization because everybody wants to make as much money as they can. And it's that every every time out, there's a commercial. Every quarter in, there's a commercial. Every, every like, after every special teams play, there's a commercial. There's a bazillion commercials now in a foot college football game that expands the game by at least two hours. Like, if you go through, like, if anybody who goes through on YouTube looks up Old Miss versus Alabama 2014, it's an hour and a half. And that game, they used both, all their timeouts the whole game. It was a long game, but it was about an hour and a half to two hours. And that's how long football should be. Like, I think that's fine. Yeah, uh, I think it's completely fine how it is. Um, this one's they interesting uh, when I saw it. Uh, Houston is not going to have an offensive coordinator next year. The uh, University of Houston offensive staff is complete with Dana Horgerson continuing to be heavily involved with the offense. So they won't have an offensive coordinator. And I, I like this is crazy. That is very interesting to me. No, I've seen like I, I still think you need to have a coordinator because I mean, if you look at Georgia and Alabama. Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are still very involved defensively because they were defensive coaches, great defensive coordinators, don't get me wrong. And they're still very much involved in the defense. But you need to share that workload if you're the head coach because there's more than just that one side of the ball. Yeah, exactly. And then something that I, I didn't bring up in the NFL, but I did talk about, or uh, I put it in here for college football, the Los Angeles Chargers are hiring Georgia analyst Robert Muschamp as a quality control coach. I had no idea that Robert Muschamp was on the staff at Georgia. I had no clue either. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's probably a good move based off of his brother. But, yeah, I, I had no idea he was working for Georgia, and now he's with the Chargers. So congratulations to Robert Muschamp. Uh, Kentucky uh, is going to uh, begin kind of testing out uh, selling alcohol for general seating areas at their sporting events. They will be uh, – I think there will only be two teams left after this that don't sell alcohol to games, and it's Georgia and I think Florida might be the other one. That is insane that it's Georgia and Florida. Yeah. I mean, I know Ole Miss and LSU were the first two. As I'm soon as sure. they passed legislation, those were the first two schools. And I mean, big shocker, Ole Miss and LSU, the big drinkers. Who would have thought? Yeah. All right, and then the last piece of college football news I've got, Deion Sanders said some interesting stuff on the Rich Eisen show. Um, he said that 
He's looking for dual parent homes for quarterbacks and single mother homes for defensive linemen. This is just a, a very weird thing to say. He said that um, talking about quarterbacks, he wants mother, father, dual parent house. We want a kid with a 3.5 GPA and up because he has to be smart. Not bad decisions off the field at all because he has to be a leader of men. Yeah, okay. The end of that comment, the end of his comment there, though, we want him to be a three, five above, make good decisions, be smart, be a leader, makes total sense. However, the dual parents, and I know there's a lot that goes into that. And if you were to really break it down, these type, this many NFL players in this position that are this amazing had a mom or just a dad or, you know, whatever it is. I feel like that's not something you say to the media, that's something you keep to yourself. Yeah, and then he goes on to talk about defensive linemen. He said, I want single mothers trying to get it. He's on free lunch. I'm talking about just trying to make it. He's trying to rescue his mom. Like, mom barely made the flight, and I want him to just go get it. Like, these are things that don't need to be said, like like, like what you just said. Like, keep this to yourself. Like, this makes, you know, recruits kind of feel weird. You know, maybe there is a defensive lineman recruit that – wants to go to Colorado and play for Dion, but he has two parents and now he feels like he can't go. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I just feel like it just makes it, we uh, like you said, it just makes it weird that he had to put it out there like that. I, cause again, it makes sense. The, Oh, I'd like, you know, a single uh, guy from a single mom. Cause she does, you know, everyone knows a single mom has to work so hard. A single father, uh, whether, whichever it be, they have to work double jobs, whatever it is, support their family. So I get, they want to work hard work harder than other people so they don't their parents don't have to work those two jobs but again that is not something you have to say to the media and put it out there that is something you say you bring in your recruiting uh people and you say this is what i'm looking for if they have this they're even better send me their names i'll go to them personally or something you know yeah, it's a it's a crazy thing to say. Now there's going to be defensive linemen recruits across America begging their parents to get a divorce. Mom, I know you and dad were fighting the other the other night. Are y'all finally to get a divorce? He's like, I, I need to get that scholarship money from Colorado. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's going to round it out for college football news. Let's get into this top five sports movie draft. I've been very excited for this one. This is one I've been waiting to do since we started the podcast. I've got the first pick because Brock had the first pick in our last draft for the college football championship games. I'm going to go ahead and do it. 1-1 one, one for me, personally. Remember the Titans. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm that is so fun. glad that I could steal that. Because I originally I was like, I'm not going to take that one 1-1. One, one. I have some other ones in mind. But I realized you're probably not going to pick the one that I wanted to take. So I had to take Remember the Titans off the board. Remember the Titans is easily the greatest football, honestly, the greatest sports movie of all time. I will go to my grave fighting that one. It was fantastic. All right, Brian. Now that I now that I took yours, what's your second pick? Or what's your first pick? My first pick, hmm. There are so many. And one I just always enjoy watching because it's stupid, it's funny. And I know a lot of people now don't like it, but I gotta go with Varsity Blues. I just love that movie. I think it's so funny. Fantastic pick. All right. Uh I guess we should have established this. Did you want to do Snake or did you want to do, like, I get the first pick every round? We should go back and forth. Okay. 
All right. My second second round pick, I'm taking Moneyball. It, it's uh, it, the movie's so good. I've watched it like more than 10 times. I it even got I listened to the audiobook. It it's a fantastic movie, fantastic story. I absolutely love Moneyball. Uh yeah, I love that movie. Again, that's another one we were watching. We literally I think I've watched it like 3 times since it's been on Netflix like don't know how long it's been on there, but like three times in the last like few months because it's just so good. All right, Brock, what's your next pick? Fourth overall, second rounder for you. Fourth overall. Hmm. There's just I'm Oh, oh, oh. If this is a sports movie, I don't know why I haven't thought about it. I'm gonna go Rocky Four. Love that movie. Yeah, that's a solid pick. I was thinking about taking a Rocky movie, but like I haven't like it's not like it, I haven't really rewatched many of those movies. I've seen them, but I never really have gone back to them. Anytime Rocky Four is on, I I watch it just because who doesn't love watching an American beat the shit out of a Russian? That's a great point. All right, my next pick, third round, I'm taking forty two. The Jackie Robinson story. That movie is fantastic. Uh, uh, outstanding performance from Chadwick Boseman, just across the board. Uh, I, I'm a huge, you know, baseball histor like historian type guy. Like that's why I love Moneyball. Forty two is one hundred percent one of the best movies when it comes to just sports in general. Forty two is such a great movie. You know what movie I I think they need to come that I really would want to watch movie on Hank Aaron. Oh yeah, that would be fantastic. Or even like that, that kind of like generation of guys that kind of came after Jackie with like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, like that kind of era. Those guys would be a, a fantastic movie. Yeah, I would. I really have to agree there. You right. know, who you got? I'm gonna... at the four fourth round, or is this third? Yeah, fourth I round. I fourth be... round super serious because there's just so many moves that keep going to my head. I was like, oh, I love that one. I watch it all the time. I love this one. I love that one. So I'm thinking um, that I think I'm going to go with a, a one movie that anytime it's on TV, I'm going to throw it on Major League. Yep. That's a great pick. And I, I want to clear it up. That was the third round. I don't know why I said fourth round. So that's your third pick, Major League. Fantastic movie. Wild thing. Everything, you know, just a bit outside. Everything about that movie is fantastic. Yeah, I just love that movie. I watch it anytime it's on TV. I will put it on. It is just so good. And then Bob Euchler, it just makes the... He, I swear to you, is what makes the movie. Yeah, fantastic. All right, now the fourth round. I'm kind of split between a couple. I think I'm going to take Talladega Nights, the Ricky Bobby story. Oh, why did you go? Why do you look at my list? No, I just I've got my own list already, dude. I uh, I was thinking that one. All right, it's fair. Legendary man, shake and bake. I mean, so good. It's right. going off of another comedy. I'm gonna go with Dodgeball. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't even think of Dodgeball as a sports movie, but yeah, it definitely falls under it. I mean. It's stupid. It's funny. It's you know it, the premise is it's just so good. I like it. I I think it's great. Yeah, a, a fantastic movie. All right, 
Well, that brings us to the fifth and final round. I'm I'm really stuck here. I've got some great choices left from my kind of short list. Uh I don't I can't decide. Do I want to go like critically acclaimed or do I want to go like funny? Oh. I'm going You said you're going funny? Mhm. I'm going to go with bench warmers. I think it's hilarious. That's a good one. I all all those just stupid ones are great. All right. <laughs> You've got it. Final pick of the draft. A movie I can guarantee you no one is thinking I'm going to say. A League of Their Own. Solid pick. That's a great movie. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed it. It's uh, I, I just really liked it. I thought I just very much enjoyed it. And there's, you know, a lot of good things about the movie. There's, you know, it has good, a lot of good principles, good morals. So I think I just, it's great. Yeah. A couple of, uh, and so now that we're done with the draft, a couple of movies that I had that I just didn't pick, uh, King Richard, the story about uh, Serena and Venus Williams and their father. That movie is fantastic. Um, Sandlot, of course, uh, a classic baseball movie. I, I'm kind of regretting that fifth pick. I think I should have taken Sandlot over Benchwarmers, but mm. Benchwarmers got a, a soft spot in my heart, mainly because of, first of all, I can't remember the character's name, but the kid that eats the sunblock and then <laughs> uh, the like, I am 12 Thing is absolutely hilarious and then happy gilmore another one that you know it's a classic and then radio i really like radio oh Cuba my Gooding god Jr. did a fantastic job in that movie oh that is such a good movie dude oh that is so good you know a movie that i kind of wish i would have said was uh we are marshall oh yeah that one's good that- we also missed rudy no neither of us picked rudy i'm not a big rudy guy i'm Me sorry neither. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad I, that we both agree on that. Trying I to think the fact that not Catholic kind of ruined that kind of makes the movie not so special to us. Probably. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ones like uh, Creed. The Creed uh, like series is very good. Um, yeah. I don't know. I can't really think of many others, but yeah, there's Semi Pro so with many Will Ferrell. What was that? Semi Pro oh, Will yeah. Ferrell. Semi Pro is fantastic. Blades of Glory, another good. Oh one. yeah, that would have counted. Um, I don't know. I'm personally not a Blind Side guy. I love the Blind Side. I should have said pick that one, but I watch that one all the time, and you know, it, it's a great movie in my opinion. I think it has a good story. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the the movie itself, but let's go ahead and move on. Let's hit Daytona 500 recap before we get out of here. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. wins it, uh, and then Woo! afterwards took the trophy to Waffle House, which is fantastic. You have to now. That's That's got to be the tradition now for the Daytona. Oh, you have to. It's the only thing that makes sense. Yep. And then and also, Joe, Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, screw Joey Logano, man. Facts. I was about to get to that. He came <laughs> in second place. Fuck Joey Logano. This is a Joey Logano hate podcast. Dude, him and Kyle Busch can both suck it. <laughs> all right and then uh kind of an interesting one travis pastrana who barely qualified for the daytona 500 uh you know uh kind of a motorsport legend uh, across you know multiple motorsports finished in 11th fantastic job from travis pastrana 
Yeah, I mean, it's all I, I like. I love this is why I like NASCAR. There's a lot of racers that like are new or you don't really know, and they can come back and do really well. Yeah, well, like, uh, who is it? Uh, Frankie Muniz is in like the like the third level or whatever of NASCAR. He's racing. Maybe we'll see <laughs> Frankie Muniz from Malcolm in the Middle in the in NASCAR one day. And then um, this kind of sucked for me. Chase Elliott uh, DNF'd. Uh, so I lost some money. Uh, he, I had him outright winner. So that was as wrong as it could possibly be. Yeah, I know. I'm quite upset about that. Chase Elliott's my boy. My two NASCAR drivers, Ricky Stenhouse and Chase Elliott. So one of them won, though. So that's all that matters. Hey, that's a win for you. And then a win for everybody. It was the longest Daytona of all time with 212 laps because they had to go into, I believe, two overtimes. Yeah, one day we're going to have to make a trip down to Daytona. Yeah, and we either got to do Daytona or Talladega. Well, hopefully I'll they'll do Talladega this week, this year on a uh, bye week, so I can actually go to Talladega this year. That would be nice. All right. We're kind of running out of time, so we're just going to skip the stake your claim. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Brock, do you have anything else for the people? No, not anything I think of. Just, you know, hotty toddy this weekend and – all right, that's going to do it for us. And once again, make sure you check out the subreddit. We're going to be posting questions on there a lot. Uh, feel free to post you know, any news that you want us to talk about or you just want us to see and any topics, anything like that, you know, fun, you know, a year ago or, you know, this this day, you know, 500 years ago or whatever, this thing happened, things like that. Just interesting stuff about sports, Any anything for the podcast, post it on there. It's going to be you know really fun to see what the community thinks. And as well as that, once again, five stars on Apple, five stars on Spotify. Give us a follow on both. Like and subscribe on YouTube. We're getting out of here. Peace. Peace.